Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to finish up chapter 6 today. And we live in an era where we have broken promises given to us all the time, don't we? In fact, uh, one of the reasons why promise keepers became so popular was to get men to get back to making promises and keeping their promises. I can't tell you how many times growing up I was given promises for certain things that never occurred or they changed on me, you know. Um, and that tends to get you to be a little bit more skeptical, cynical about people and their word, doesn't it? Especially when people break their promises around you. Nations will sign important treaties and then break them at will. Couples will show little regard for their wedding vows and uncouple. What do they have, that, what do they have now? It's called an, a conscious uncoupling. That's the new term. <laughs> That's a new one. Just came out last year. In this kind of society, we who are God's people should be known for keeping. If anybody keeps their promises, it should be us. One of the things I realized when I did my time with the uh, Friends Churches is that one of their major, major, major ways of thinking worldview and being a Christian in that worldview is that your let your yeses be yeses and your noes be noes. So much so that they never took vows. Meaning like one of the things about the friends was that when they, when they went before the magistrates in England where they say, you know, swear to the Bible that, you know, these things are true, whatever, they wouldn't do it. They said, no, my word is my word. I affirm I will tell the truth. And so if it wasn't true, they didn't say it. So that's the kind of people they were. And we have lost that a lot in our Christian culture. Let me tell you a little story here. There's a brilliant Christian scholar and writer. You may all know him, but his name is C.S. Lewis. And he took that truth seriously. He was determined to pay what he had vowed. In his biography, he tells of the suffering he endured because he kept a promise that he made to a buddy during World War I. This friend was worried about the care of his wife and small daughter if he would be killed in battle. So Lewis assured him that if, it, that, if that were to happen, he would look after them. As the war dragged on, the man, his friend, was killed. True to his word, Lewis took care of his friend's family. Yet no matter how helpful he tried to be, the woman was ungrateful, rude, arrogant, and domineering. Through it all, Lewis kept forgiving her, and he refused to let her action become an excuse to renege on his promise. What an example of a promise kept. So many times our promises come with caveats, don't they? Right? Our promises come with caveats. Okay, I'll do this for you. I promise I'll do this for you, but you've got to do this for me. It's a quid pro quo, if you will. And luckily, God doesn't have a quick pro quo with us, does he? Can you imagine? Jesus on the cross. Okay, I'll hang on this cross for you, but you have to whatever. That wouldn't be unconditional love now, would it? So we need to carry on the promises that we have because of the promise giver if we're going to take on his character. And so the writer of Hebrews is going to address that right here. So before we get into that, here's, let me give you some promises. You might want to jot some of these scriptures down just so you can look at them later. But these are really great promises, promises that I feel like are God's top ten, if you will. But uh, for me, anyway, they might, you might have your own promises. And I would, I would suggest to you after, after church today, when you get home and you do your quiet time, whatever, Look at the promises God has given you and memorize those promises. Memorize them. Because there's, there, that will increase your faith. That will help you in times of struggle, knowing that God has promised you. I can't tell you how many times when I felt alone and abandoned and all that, and that promise, like I shared this morning, and lo, I will be with you always. How many times? Always. Even right now, Lord? Yes, even right now. Because that's his promise. 
And he's not a liar. So it's got to be true. Not only that, he keeps his promises. And I'm encouraged by that. What about the promise of God's presence? Hebrews 13.5. I will never leave you. It's a good one. God's protection in Genesis 15.1. I am your shield. He's my shield. God's power, Isaiah 41.10. I will strengthen you by my mighty right hand. God's provision, Isaiah 41.10 as well. I will help you. I will help you. God himself is going to help you. You think you're going to get some help? God's leading, John 10.4. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them. Jesus will never send you somewhere that he is already not there. He will always send you out and go before you. In fact, remember when we went through the book of Exodus, he sent out an angel before them all the time. All the time. He had a scout called the angel of God that would go before them and clear the way for them. That's cool. Jeremiah 20, God's purpose for your life. I know the thoughts I have toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a hope and a future. God's rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God's cleansing, John, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What unrighteousness? All. God's goodness, Psalm 84, 11. No good thing has he withheld from them who work uprightly. When you do righteous things, God's going to give you good things. When you do unrighteous things, you reap what you sow. God's faithfulness, 1 Samuel 12, 22, the Lord will not forsake his people or his great name for his great name's sake. God's guidance, the meek he will guide, Psalm 25, 9. And then finally, God's plan. All things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes, Romans 8, 28. So here we have God's promises that are always there for us. So now the writer of Hebrews is going to touch on that. So take, like, take a look at starting in verse 13. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no greater name, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and will surely multiply you. And thus, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise, for men swear by one greater than themselves. And with them, an oath is given, as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchange unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed interposed with an oath in order that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement. We who have fled for refuge and laying hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner before us having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And we'll get into Melchizedek next week. So, what do we know here? First of all, that God made a promise by the power of himself. There was no one greater to promise to. When we make oaths, like when we go to court, put your hand on the Bible and you make an oath. To who? To God. Someone greater than you. Someone who has the power that you do not have, nor will you ever have. And so he says, we say that we make an oath to that great power, and we subjugate ourselves to that power. Make sense? So the highest promise, or if you were going to name drop, God names drops his own name. Because there is no one greater than him. He is the greatest. 
So he swears by himself. Now, the, here, here's the thing. He's swearing unto his own character. So there can be no evil in his character for him to swear something that is not true. See, I'm acting like Ravi Zacharias right now. Okay? Because you guys are giving me blank looks. He, first of all, cannot lie. That goes against his character. He cannot tell a mistruth. He can't tell a half-truth. He can only tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me. Me, he says. So he can't do anything outside of his character. So if he's going to make an oath to the people of God with his own power, his oath is to do them good. Always. Even when he's disciplining them. It's for their good. Now get that for a moment. Because some of us are under some discipline. Or we've been disciplined. Or we will be going through some discipline. Okay? You're one of, you're one of three. You're either in discipline now, you're going into discipline, or you just came out of discipline. Because <laughs> that's God disciplines those whom he loves. So if you're not being disciplined at all, like for a long period of time, one of two things is happening, and one of them isn't true. Either you're really not serving God and He's loving you as you serve, or you're lying to yourself. One of those two. Because He, lo he disciplines those, those whom He loves. And you're not perfect. And that's what I mean by lying to yourself. Just heard this great debate about perfection. That Jesus said, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And there's a religious group that believes you can attain to that. And it was a kid, 21 years old, said he was perfect. 21 years old? I remember when I was 21. I don't know if you guys remember when you were 21. You know, I don't care how in love with God and how on fire for God you were, you were not perfect. Because you have to be perfect in three areas, not just one area. You can't just be perfect in the physical area. You have to be perfect in the thought area and in the spirit area. All three. That's a tough road to hoe when you're 21 and all the hormones are working. Okay. These are promises that can be counted on, just as it was for Abraham. God was going to multiply Abraham and make him as the sand on the seashore, as the stars in the sky were going to be the promises that God had for Abraham, right? And we have that today. I mean, his children are numerous and of many cultures. Okay, So these promises that we have that he's talking about here as he begins in Abraham, when Abraham, since he could swear by no other name, he said, surely I will bless you and I will multiply you. That's a, the Abrahamic covenant. Because of this, we can rely on someone who has come greater. And the writer of Hebrews previously had already said what? We have a greater priest, right? Jesus is our high priest. We just talked about this last week. And so we have a greater priest who can make greater promises. And guess what the promise of God is? The promise of Jesus is, John 14, 1, 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. Children, we are not alone. We have a place to go to. We are not homeless on this planet. We have someone who is preparing a place for us, making a way for us, giving us somewhere to be forever with him. But we have to believe in him. We have to walk with him. We need to not deny him. Like if we talked about last week in 
those who have denied him. We have to, we have to believe and walk with him. Right? And it's different for each one of us. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities. I know that. But your walk with God is your walk with God. And we all walk differently. The point is, we need to walk with God. That's it. And he's going to correct you and discipline you and love you in a way that you understand. You know, there's this, there's this, there's this great uh, book called The Love Languages by, uh, I think it's Gary Smalley. Gary Chapman, I'm sorry. I always, no, it's, yeah, it's Chapman. Thank you. And he talks about the different love languages that we understand love differently, okay? For some of you, love is by gifts. When someone gives you a gift, you know that they love you. Or if you give a gift to someone, that's love, okay? That's, that's the motivation, okay? For others, it's words of encouragement. When people say they love you, when people encourage you, they say they're proud of you, they lift you up, oh, you're the best thing since sliced bread, you know, all that kind of stuff. When that happens, then you know someone loves you. Another one is physical touch, meaning the, the non-sexual touch, you know, hugs and holding hands and, you know, the little playing with somebody's ear and all that kind of stuff that couples kind of do or that parents do with their children, you know, those kind of things. That's also another way of showing love. Acts of service, when someone does something for you that you didn't ask them to do, when they just do it for you or you do something for someone else, that's also uh, an act of love that you understand how love comes in. And then the fourth one, I always, oh, quality time. Thank you. That's the one I'm the worst at. That's why. <laughs> when people spend time with you, when they, they, they stop their busyness just to be with you, or you stop your busyness to go and be with someone, to give them your time. Those are the five love languages that we understand love. And a lot of us have two or three that are strong in our lives. And so what happens is that we begin to love others that way. My biggest one is acts of service, obedience, discipline. Okay? So how does God deal with me when it comes to loving him? In that manner. So I show him I love him by serving him by doing things for him, by obeying him, by doing, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm coming from that angle when it comes to my love for him. And so he begins to show me the same thing, but by doing those things and showing me those things, look how I provided for you. Look how I've done this for you. Look how, and that's how he gets my attention. When all of a sudden, you know, I find out, you know, that I get the gift from him, that he did something for me. That's his acts of, act of service to me. And they understand it is love. Okay? So think about, think about that for a minute. Think about how you love and think about has God impacted your life in loving you that way? Do you understand it as love? Now, he continues on and he says, having patiently waited to obtain the promise meant whereby a greater name than themselves. But we have to understand that God has a greater name and he tells us that he has made promises to us. Where does he tell us that? Where? In his word. You don't know the promises of God unless you open up his promise book. When you open up his promise book, you'll find the promises of God for your life in here. But you've got to open up the book and look for the promises. If I told you that if you go through this book and if you read every line, if it was like a video game, and when you hit a promise, you, know, you hit the button, and all of a sudden change came out, money came out, how many of you would be in this book every day? You'd quit work. You'd be making more money doing this because there is a ton of promises in here. The thing is, we don't do that. We don't search out his promises. And we're called to look for them. How many parables did Jesus talk about when it came to looking? Yeah, there was a woman. 
who lost a precious coin in her house. She tore that house up. You talk about spring cleaning. This is way, this is like spring cleaning on steroids. She tore that house up until she found the coin. There's a story about a guy who found a precious pearl, right? And he's been a piece of land. What does he do? Purchases that piece of land because he thinks there's more pearls in there. He's going to tear that land up looking for more. It's the same way. You know, he, he equates that to the kingdom of God. But here I'm saying that we need to equate that to the promises of God, that we look with that kind of zealousness. Psalm 33, 6 and 9 says this, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host and the breath of his, from the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars, and he puts, deep, and he puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. That's in uh, Psalm 33, 6 through 9. God's promises to us will happen. How many of you believe that? Half the room. Why does only half the room believe that? If God is true, if God cannot lie, and God has given you a promise, what's going to happen? He's going to keep his promise. Who? No, I'm just letting you, I'm just letting that ruminate. Because half the room didn't, didn't get it. Are you looking for his promises in your life? I mean, if you can't believe the littlest promise, how can you believe his big promise? How can you believe you're saved if you don't believe in his promises? Because if you believe that he cannot keep a promise, then he cannot keep any promise. So he either keeps all the promises or he keeps none of them. So you can't say, oh, pastor, I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That promise I believe. But about him providing for me, no, I got to go to work and I got to go do. Yeah, you still got to do stuff. But you can't believe that promise and not believe the other promise. They're coming from the same God. God cannot lie. If God cannot lie, then the promises are true. Period. Which promise? All the promises. All of them. All of them. And if God points you out to a promise that's for you, and it goes, aha, the coins come out, and you go, oh, I found this promise. I wonder if it's for me. Why are you wondering? You found it. God led you to it. How is it not your promise? Well, because I wasn't around, you know, back in Genesis or back in the Old Testament or back in, you know, back in the day. Why do you think the writer's talking about Hebrews? He's saying, you know what, the promise of Abraham was true because God gave it. But not only that promise, but the promise of Jesus is true because God gave it. And someone is greater there was no one greater than God when giving promises. So if it was true for Abraham, whom you believe in, now it's time to believe in Jesus, who is a greater priest, who is a greater patriarch, whom the patriarch hoped to see one day. They wanted to see Jesus. Previously, two chapters earlier, who did the queen of Sheba go see? Solomon and his wisdom. Right? But someone greater than him is here. People went to go see Moses to get ruled over, to get judgments done. Someone greater than Moses is here. And so he's already made the argument that Jesus is the greatest. Not Muhammad Ali. Jesus! (coughs) 
That was a good one. He's the greatest. And we can believe in his promises, great and small. We take part in these promises, and the promises are right here, right in front of us every single day. I would suggest you have not because you read not. When you read it and you accept it from God and then you ask God, how can he not stay true to his promise? He has to give his promise. Now, it has to be according to his will for your life. Don't get me wrong. I was looking through this the other day and I was looking. He promised me the mansion. I got that. And, but I was looking for the car that went into the mansion, and I couldn't, I couldn't find my Maserati. And then I was thinking, maybe, he, maybe he's still kind of Old Testament God. Maybe there's a couple of camels. I was looking for a two-hump camel because I didn't want a one-humper. I wanted a two-humper. Yeah, maybe a chariot or two. God's promises and their fulfillment, their certainties can be relied upon because we're relying on the character of God. We're relying on His character to fulfill His word. You're not relying on your works. You're not relying on what you do. You're relying on His character to fulfill His word. Were the people of God going through, like we just studied Exodus, going through the desert, were they faithful to God? They were not. Not even Moses' brother. And yet, did God keep his promise? Fed him every day, gave him water, gave him a cloud by day so they didn't get sunburned, and gave him a pillar of fire by night so they didn't trip over stuff. He kept his promise. He kept it. They were grumbling. Oh, we don't Let's go back to Egypt. We had leeks and onions and uh, we had meat to eat. Uh, yeah, but you weren't a slave. Ah, I wasn't so bad. Really? Those scars on your back and get beat up every day and they take your women and make your children work and all of that and people dying all over the place because they had no health care whatsoever. I mean, really? That, is that what you're, you, you want to go back to that? Uh, yeah. He has never broken a covenant even though we are an obstinate people. Do you tell yourself that? We don't, right? We always look at the bright side. Lord, I was good today. I got into your word. I had a quiet time. I was awesome today. I gave to this guy on the freeway. I gave him some money. Felt the need. Man, I was good today. Uh, okay, I want you to tithe on Sunday. No, you know I don't do that, Lord. I only give you 5%. That's how we work. You are an obstinate person. We, God wants us to do things His way, not our way. Not under our understanding, but under Him and what He says. And I keep telling people all the time, do you want what God has for you? Then do as God has told you to do. You want God's rewards? Then you have to give according to God's way. Not your way, His way. You get God's stuff by doing things God's way. You want to keep stuff? You will lose stuff. You lose your stuff, you will get stuff. That's how the kingdom works, right? You want to keep your life? You got to give it away. You got to lose it. It's upside down. It's, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I've read the leadership books. It doesn't work. Meaning worldly leadership books versus how God tells us to lead. God says, be the least and you will be the greatest. What? Here we go with Muhammad again. What? Be the least. Serve. Obey. Do what I've called you to do. Do it, and you'll get my promise. And we can take comfort in God's promises. We can take comfort in it. 
It says, verse 19, and this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. What was on the other side of the veil inside the temple of God, in the Holy of Holies? What was in there? What? The presence of God? The what? It's the most holy place because the presence of God was there, but what was in there? The Ark of the Covenant. What was on top of the Ark of the Covenant? Cherubim calling the mercy seat. Okay, so what do we have here? We have an anchor for our soul, a hope, which is both sure and steadfast, and it comes with the presence of God and mercy. All of that is wrapped up in his promise, which is for you, and you, and you, and you, and you, 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 you. We all get the promises. I feel like Oprah. We all get the promises. You don't even have to look under your seat. I don't know what kind of security you're looking for this morning, but the most secure place you can be is not only believing the promises of God for your life, but acting upon them. Don't miss that. It's not just finding them. It's believing them and then acting upon them. You have to do all those things. Otherwise, you're really not living in the promise. And otherwise, then you do not have an anchor and you, do not have a, you don't have that connection because you're not actually living out the promise. Right? 1 John 5, 5-12 says this. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in their heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony of God that God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. Jesus has entered in and has become a high priest forever for us. He is continually before the mercy seat of God for you. There's another scripture that talks about that there is a liar named Satan who goes before God and accuses the saints. He is up there right now, as I'm preaching, accusing me of some thoughts or things or whatever I have done this week. He's right now accusing me in front of the Father. As I'm doing the will of God, right now, he's up there telling lies. Because that's what he does. He's twisting things. That's what he does. Right now. As I'm doing the will of God in my life. So what, what can I do about that? I believe that the blood of Jesus cleansed me of all my sin. I relied on that promise. So guess what? I don't even have to be in court today because my attorney is there. His name is Jesus. I think it's Jesus H. Christ. I think that's his whole thing. I've heard people use that. Holy. Jesus is standing before the Father right now saying, 
He's innocent. He's justified. Why? Because he already paid the penalty. And the gavel's coming down right now, right on top of Satan's head. Boink! Not guilty. Next. And he moves on to the next person. I have been set free because I believe the promise. I stake my life on it, my entire life, nothing else, my whole life is based on giving my life to that promise. Why? Because he's faithful and true to his word. If I can believe that, I can believe that he will provide for me today what I need today. And if I run into a temptation today, I can believe in his promise that with every temptation, he provides a way of escape. So I'm able to endure it. The question is, will I take the way of escape? I can believe that promise all day long. All day long. But until I actually do it, I really don't believe it, do I? You can read all the manuals you like on uh, gliding. Hang gliding, thank you. You can read all the manuals. You can watch all the YouTube videos, how to do it, all that kind of stuff, and do all of that. You can actually believe that that piece of machinery will hold you up in the air over cliffs and stuff. You can believe that because you see other people doing it. But until you actually do it, you don't believe it can hold you up. You have to do it. I am so glad that all of you are believers here. You're all believers here. You're all believers in one thing. You believe that those chairs you're sitting on will hold you up. How do I know that? Because you're sitting on some of you don't even have both feet on the floor. In fact, everybody, lift up your feet. Lift up your feet off the floor. Go ahead. You're not doing it because you don't believe it'll hold you up? <laughs> you don't want to bend your legs? <laughs> We can all do that because we believe that the chair was designed in such a way and built so that it will hold up each and every one of us. In fact, two of us can sit on a chair and it will probably still hold it up. That's how much faith we have in these chairs. Does that help you at all? with putting your feet up while you sit in the arms of God and allowing him to hold you, to hold your concerns, to hold your provision, to hold your life? Or do you have to have your feet on the floor? He is worthy. He is faithful. He is true to his word. And lo, I am with you always. I will never leave or forsake you. Your concerns are his concerns because he cares for you so much. There's a simple thing in the Bible after Jesus was resurrected, that people don't give much notice to. The disciples had decided to go back up to Galilee, go back up, and they went fishing. They were all together, they were all in the boat, and they'd been fishing throughout the night. And they were coming back in, and they saw at a distance somebody by a campfire who had already prepared the fire and was cooking up the fire. Is that? No, it can't be. It is. It's Jesus. 
And I think it's Peter gets out the boat and starts swimming toward the shore. And the rest of the disciples, they park the boat and they get off and they come around Jesus. And Jesus says, he doesn't say, here I am, I love you guys. He doesn't say any of that. He says, bring me some fish. And he makes them breakfast. And he feeds and he gives it to them and they eat. Then he talks to them. He was concerned that they had been all night out in the boat trying to make a living. And he wanted to make sure they were fed. He was concerned about their need. Ultimately, their need was for him. But do you see his concern? Don't tell me he doesn't have a concern about you. He loves you. He cares about you. He has the ultimate concern for you. Whatever's heavy on your heart this morning, he is concerned about that. He truly is. And he will meet it, and he will take care of it for you. But you've got to get out of your boat and get near him. Be around him. Trust in what he's given you. And it may be even stuff that you have that he gives back to you. He didn't catch those fish. They did. But he cooked it for them. And they gave it back to him. So I'm going to close now. Maybe you have a prayer need. You have some concerns or something going on and you really need to rely on God's promise not only for the forgiveness of your sins, salvation for your soul, but for the daily stuff that we have to go through, for the daily provision we need, for healing, finances, situations, relationships, whatever is your mounting concern, the thing that is occupying your mind right now. And bring it to Jesus because he's concerned and he wants to impact it. He's got a promise for you. We even read it. He said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your soul. Take my burden upon you for it is easy and my yoke is light. So let's do that. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything. You just where you're at. And I want to pray with you and for you. And we're going to just pray about different things. I'll just give the category, and if, that's, if you're in that category, just go ahead and lift up your hand, and we'll pray for, for that together as a church. This is part of being family with one another and sharing those concerns. You're not going to share anything. You're just going to raise your hand. So you don't have to worry about that. But God knows what it is. And as we pray, I'm going to agree with you that that takes care of. So first of all, one of the ones that pretty much everybody is concerned about, I'm always concerned about it, not for myself, but for my wife, is one of healing, physical need, a physical healing. You might have someone in, or you might need a physical healing or know someone who needs one. Go ahead and raise your hand so I can pray with you and for you. Uh Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray for all those right now who have lifted up their hand. Lord, we have loved ones or we have an illness or something that's going on, Lord, physically, that we're not 100%. And Father, I pray for those who are undergoing different illnesses that that are in the hospital, that have just come out of the hospital, that are recovering, you, Lord, uh, that are are feeling the, the, the pains and the and, and the hurt and of, of the, this, this illness and this, this injury. Lord, Father, I just agree with those who raise their hand right now that you would touch them. Lord, you healed the woman with the issue of blood. You healed the blind man, the leper. You even brought back to life those who had died. And so we know you have the power to heal, Lord. We know that because that's one of your titles is the great physician. You can heal all things, even the impossible. 
So right now, Lord, we lift up our loved ones to you, ourselves, in the midst of our pain and our hurt, Lord, and we ask that you would touch and heal, relieve, bring comfort. Lord, by your grace and by your mercy and by the power of your mighty right hand, that you would heal those who are dear to our hearts. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And by faith we believe that you will do it. Amen. You might need a, a relational thing. Maybe there's a relational disconnect or a relational problem with somebody, whether it be a coworker or a family member or even a spouse, and you need God to intervene in that. Maybe it's a child, I don't know. But it, just a relational thing. If that's you, raise your hand. Okay, see you. Good. Father, I pray right now for those of us who are having issues with those who are close to us, Lord. And we have a, a, a relationship problem, Lord. There, there, there needs to be breakthrough. And the breakthrough is always the breakthrough of love. Lord, first and foremost, Lord, help us to love that person. To show love. To react in love. Lord, not to return evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead to heap burning coals upon them, Lord, like we say. So, Lord, help us to love those who are unlovable around us, for only you can give us that kind of unconditional love, and we rely on it. We need it right now for this relationship issue, that you would bring healing to it, Lord, that you would be glorified in it so that we and the other person could be united together in love once again. So, Father, help us. Help us to search our own heart to see if we have a log in our own eye before we try to get the speck out of our brother or sister's eye. Lord, help us with that, Lord. Forgive us of our own transgressions as we forgive those who have transgressed against us. So help us to rely on your word and to do your word and to take the first steps of reconciliation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you are waiting to hear back on a job or you, you have a financial issue, you have some bills and things that have just kind of been a little bit too much, or you're needing a, a fresh income of some sort, uh, some, something financial. If that's you, go ahead, raise your hand. Okay, amen. Father, I lift up those who are in need financially right now. Thank you, Lord, that you say that you will provide. Lord, like you provided for the children of Israel in the desert, manna, quail, water, Lord. Uh, you protected them from the light of the sun and, and the cold of night. Lord, you protected them from animals and, 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 and other tribes that were around. And Lord, you provided for them everything that they needed while they were out in the desert and even into the new land that they were to walk into, a land of flowing with milk and honey. And Lord, I pray for each one now, Lord, who raised their hand for a financial issue, Lord. Lord, may you bless them. Bless them with that job, that new job. Bless them, Lord, in their finances. Make things last longer so they don't break down, Lord, that they continue to work and, and we're able to catch up, Father. But help us to do what we've been called to do, which is to give us, to give you your first fruits. The first fruits of whatever. Trust in you for that, Lord. Quit giving excuses why we don't do it. Lord, may we do it and watch your hand work, your hand of provision, for you are faithful and true. And so we can trust in your word. Thank you that you've given us this process of trust in you. So, Lord, may we do so. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You might be feeling spiritually disconnected from God. The way or this whole thing about trusting in him and promises and all that. Maybe you need a touch from God. Maybe you need reconnecting with him in a vital and fresh way. If that's you, raise your hand real quick. Okay, great. Lord, I come before you, Lord, and thank you. Thank you that you say you're with us always, that you never leave or forsake us. You're right by our side, and Lord, it's us who turn our face away from you. It's us who, who do not recognize your presence. Oh, God, how we need your presence again. Fresh and anew, 
Lord, restore in us the joy of our salvation, Lord. When we were so close to you that it was all about you, Lord, may we not grow old in that. But may we have the spark of your life in us and that we would sense it again. Lord, if there be, as the psalmist wrote, any wicked way that keeps us from that, Lord, may you remove it from us, Lord. May we change. May we be transformed into the image of your Son, Lord. May we think of the things above and not the things of this earth. May we stop our sinful ways and trust in you. Lord, reconnect us because we love you and we know you love us. Move in our hearts, I pray. Move in the Spirit. Breathe on us the Spirit of life. Lord, may we call out to you, cry out to you, and be like Jacob and hang on to that angel until we get a blessing. Not let go. May we hold tight to you, Lord Jesus, and not let go. That you would bless us, renew us, regenerate us, resurrect us, if you will. And that we would sense you even more powerfully now than we ever have in the past. I pray that for each and every one of us. Because we all need to be your witnesses. Not only here, but outside these doors. So help us to do these things. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's spend a few more moments together worshiping what God has done here this morning. He has changed some hearts today. And he's changed some trajectories of our lives today for good. So let's praise him for that.